Uh, we have a special treat this morning for us. Um, uh, Reverend Leah Wheeler is going to come and, and present the sermon for us today and lead us to the throne of God. No pressure leading you to the throne of God. <laughs> okay, so just in case you didn't know, we will be having communion at the end of my sermon. So the communion little thingies are in the back in the foyer. Do we call that the foyer still? Uh, so if you didn't get one, you might want to go get one. And feel free to get up and walk out while I'm talking and get one of those. Um, all right. I'm going to put mine right there so I don't lose it. So when Mike first asked me if I was interested in speaking this morning... I had to think about it because he said he wanted a woman's perspective on Christmas. And, uh, well, you might regret it, but that's what you're going to get this morning. (laughs) Okay, so I was looking and preparing, and while I was looking and preparing, I ran across that video that I showed you. Um, So those are not people that I didn't work for the Free Burma Rangers. I worked for another organization, but we frequently crossed paths. And a bunch of uh, the people in my home Bible study group while I was there were people that worked with Free Burma Rangers. And it struck me that while I was there in Thailand, I saw a lot of different types of leaders and ways of leading And I started thinking about this concept of leadership, and I was thinking about Christmas. And so I was noodling around on the internet, which is always kind of a dangerous thing, and praying about what to say this morning. And I noticed that there are a lot of things on the internet about Christmas and leadership. There's like this whole genre of sermons, leadership in the Christmas story. And guess what they all talked about? They talked about Joseph being a leader. They talked about the wise men being leaders. They talked about the shepherds being leaders. And they even talked about Herod and how he was a bad leader. Uh, But not a single one of those sermons that I found, and maybe I just didn't look in the right places, but not a single one of those talked about Mary as a leader. And I was intrigued by this, so uh, I looked up, what do they say about Mary at Christmas time? And here's what I found. I found that Mary was a servant. I found that Mary was a faithful woman. I found that Mary was obedient. And that was a really, really popular topic for Mary, as it was almost like there's no other role for a woman that they could fulfill except being obedient to the church and being obedient to their husbands. And it was really strange to me. And so I thought, uh, let's look a little deeper into this. I did find a few sermons on Mary and not being afraid because the angel says, do not be afraid. Uh, And I did find one sermon on accepting God's plan for your life without hesitation. But not a single one of these sermons looked at Mary as a leader, as someone that we could learn from 
regarding leadership. So I want to dig into that today. And in order to dive into it with you, we need to understand her story. So I'm going to read it one more time. This is just a little section of the Christmas story where we're introduced to Mary. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So, as we're reading this, I, uh, most people who know me well enough and have heard enough of my sermons realize that I don't shy away from difficult topics. So, we're also going to talk for a second about how the secular world views this story. And I just want to give you one of the main views from non-Christians. So, this argument came from a website I found. It was pretty easy to find, and it's a pretty common argument. Uh, It says that the Christmas story is absolutely horrible. Christians celebrate God taking advantage of a teenage girl, getting her pregnant against her will, and forcing her to give birth in squalid conditions. So basically their argument is that every aspect of Jesus' birth was injustice heaped upon humiliation for Mary, and that we ought to be horrified rather than celebrating. But... That whole argument rests on one question. And that question is, did Mary have an option? Could she have said no? And in order to answer that, I looked at a bunch of scholarly, academic stuff and commentaries on this scripture. And here's what I found. Most Christian theologians and scholars agree that Mary had a choice. So it wasn't God coming and saying, you will do this and you have no choice. This is how it's going to be. What it was is how many of us have had a situation where someone came to you and said, 
I'm going to do this for you. What do you think? We kind of say, in our manner of speaking, hey, we want to do something for you. Here's what we're going to do. Do you agree with that or not? And if they say no, then we don't do it. Or hopefully we don't do it. Hopefully we have enough respect for our friends that we don't do it, right? So sometimes this, what we call imperative language, this I will, you will kind of language is given almost like a command, but there's still an opportunity there for consent or to turn away and say no. So most scholars look at that scripture where it says, hey, Mary, God's going to give you a good gift. He's really found favor in you. Here's what the gift is. You will become pregnant, etc., etc. And we know that Mary had an opportunity to consent or to choose not to go along with God's plan because the angel tells Mary all this stuff, gives her a few details, and then says nothing. He stops and he waits. If there was no opportunity for consent, the angel would have disappeared right then. Hey, this is going to happen to you. This is the way it is. See you later. But no, the angel is still there while Mary considers this. And she ends up saying, may it be to me as you have said. That gives us the clue that this imperative you will still had that opportunity to say no. The other way that we know that Mary gave her consent to this, that it was not forced on her without her consent is that in Colossians 1.15, it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when we're trying to figure out what God is like and how he relates with us as human beings, we need to look at Jesus' life. So when Jesus was talking to uh, Judas and Judas decides to betray him, did God stop him or tell him, no, that's the wrong thing, you can't do it? No, he let Judas choose which way he went. When he was talking to the rich young man who said, what must I do? And Jesus said, give up everything you own and follow me. And he turned and walked away. Did Jesus stop him and say, no, no, you have to follow me? No, he let him walk away. We like to say that Jesus called the disciples But what he actually did is he invited them. He said, come and be fishers of men. Now, that's an imperative. Come with me. It's a command. But they still had the choice to keep fishing or collecting taxes or whatever they were doing or to put that down and follow him. And they chose to follow him. So we can see from these examples that God does not force us to do his will. He gave us free choice. And a lot of times that free choice gets us into trouble. Uh, Some of the prophets in the Old Testament tried to say no to God and they got into trouble, right? So Jonas said no about going to Nineveh and he ended up sitting inside of a whale for three days, right? So, or technically a big fish. Um, So, It is possible to say no. Who else said no? Moses said no. Okay. 
the future leader of Israel, the person who got them out of slavery, said no initially. And God graciously worked with him and said, all right, fine, I'll give you Aaron, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Now, will you just calm down? Are you willing to do it now? Okay, finally Moses does it, right? But he doesn't force Moses to do it. And he even works with Moses to calm his fears. So we have quite a few examples. Uh, this is my favorite one. Uh, do you remember, what, what was his name? Balaam? He was a, a prophet and he tried to bamboozle God. And he ended up talking to his donkey and his donkey talked back to him. Right? So... You know, saying no has its consequences. We don't deny that. But we do, as human beings, have the opportunity to say no to God and his plans. And with that comes an opportunity also to say yes. I had a student in one of my classes. They have to write these discussion posts. And uh, one of them said a very interesting thing. I'm going to quote it to you. Um, as soon as I find it. Oh, no, I've lost it. Oh, no. Right? This is so annoying and so embarrassing. Because it was a really good quote. (laughs) Anyway. All right, so. um, The gist of it was that God is not selfish. That God didn't... um, God didn't give us Jesus and make Mary do all of this stuff. He didn't make her do it. He asked her to do it and said, I'm giving you an opportunity. Will you take it? And she said yes. And the reason he didn't make us do this stuff is because he's not selfish. It's not all about him. It's about us and our reconciliation. So at this most important, pivotal moment in human history, is God going to be selfish and go against his very nature and force Mary to do something she doesn't want to do? I would say no. That it is impossible for God to go against his nature. And we see his nature in how Jesus interacts with people. He never forces people to do his will. So, Mary gives her consent. And I think what she's doing here is she is being a leader. A lot of us don't really think about what will happen as a result of our choices. We make hundreds of choices every day. Some of us think about, well, like if I eat that cookie, then I'm going to have to do extra exercises, or my pants won't fit, but I'm going to eat it anyway, right? So sometimes we think about the choices that we make. But one of my other students also said that people tend to just enjoy their choices without thinking of the negative effects that would result from them. And a leader is someone who, when making choices that affect not only themselves, 
but the people around them, considers the results of the choices they're making. And I think that's what Mary was doing here. She pauses and she says, hmm, all right, I got to think about this. What's going to happen if I say yes? Well, at worst, uh, my fiance is going to ditch me. I'll be pregnant and alone. I may end up homeless because my family might kick me out for having gotten pregnant without being married yet. And uh, generally, women don't have a way of earning money, so I'm going to be really, really poor, perhaps starving and living on the streets, and I'll have a child to take care of. So chances are we're going to starve or die really soon, unless God does some miraculous work. So that's the, yes, God, I'll do what you want side. That's the worst option. The best option isn't much better. Even if Joseph continues with the marriage, despite her being pregnant, she's still going to be ostracized and shamed by her community. And Joseph's always going to be thinking, was that really from God? Or is my wife not the faithful person that I hoped she would be? So even at the best, there's always going to be some negative ramifications and some humiliation from what God is proposing to her. She considers all of these options. And despite the fact that God's will brings difficulty, that God's will brings humiliation and possible early death. I mean, giving birth to a child. Someone, we were watching a movie the other day, and on the movie, this person said, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Women have been having children since the beginning of time. And my immediate thought was, yes, they've also been dying in childbirth since the beginning of time, right? So there's danger in saying yes. There's not just humiliation and difficult times ahead. But... A leader looks at the results and the consequences and chooses the thing that is difficult but best for everyone. And that's one of the reasons I think Mary is a leader. She's not, as the video we saw from Free Burma Rangers said, she's not being led by comfort, she's not being led by fear, and she's not being led by pride. Instead, she's doing the right thing when no one else can see it. She's doing the right thing when no one else will think that it's the right thing. They're going to think that she went out and cheated on her fiancé. She's doing the right thing when the consequences here on earth are all negative. And she's doing the right thing when death, humiliation, and suffering are very... very clearly potential results of saying yes to God. And still, she says yes. In my mind, that's integrity. That's faith. And that's leadership. That was all point one in the sermon, by the way. Now we're going on to point two. Uh, So... Point two is that Mary puts an end to patriarchy. And that is why, the second reason why, she is a leader. Now you're thinking, 
Well, some of you might be thinking, what the heck is patriarchy? So patriarchy is where men in the society make all of the decisions and women don't get to really have much of a voice. It's a male-dominated society, okay? So that was the society, the system that she was living in, and some of us might argue that we still have tendencies towards that in our society today. And so you may be asking, what do you mean she put an end to patriarchy? Because that dominance of men over women has been happening and still happens. Well, I would say that she's quite prophetic. And I want to show you how, because it's not just her song, but we'll get to her song in a minute. It is the very act of talking with God and saying yes to God, because... Were there any men consulted by God in this scenario when he came up with this plan? Nope. Did Mary run off and consult any of the men in her life who were authority figures before she said yes? Nope. It's just God and Mary having a conversation And Mary makes a free choice of her own will without reference to any men. In a society where Mary was just barely of age, she was female, and she was either under the authority of the male in her family, it could have been a brother, it could have been her father, whoever, and she would soon be under the authority of her fiancé slash husband, in this society, God does not consult any of them. He doesn't go to them for their consent. He goes to Mary. And I think this is important because Mary, in making this decision for herself is also making a decision for an entire nation and for the entire world without reference to any men, even the men who have authority in her life. And this, to me, blows my mind because it reminds me of what Genesis says. Every single human being, whether male or female, is made in the image of God. Every single human being has an autonomous individual relationship with God. Every single human being, male or female, has to choose for themselves if they will follow God and choose his will and his plan for their life or not. Nobody else can make it for us. Nobody else can force us into it. And with reference to when God tells us to do something, it is us alone who have to make a decision to follow him or not, regardless of what anyone else around us is doing. Now, you can see why Rome would have hated Christianity, right? They were oppressive. 
She was living under Roman political and physical military oppression. And she's saying, this is all my choice, whether I fulfill this plan or not. And God is saying, it is her choice, whether she fulfills this plan or not, without reference to any other human being. Wow. Subversive. Dangerous. And you know, there are some people today who don't like this part of the story of Christ. They think it's dangerous and subversive. And it is scary because each one of us then is responsible for our choices. For the things we do that affect other people. And some of us choose to do horrific things with that freedom, with that will. And God doesn't stop it. He allows us to do that. Because if he didn't allow us to make those choices, then he can't allow us. It's not true freedom when we choose to follow him. He can't only allow us to do the right thing and not allow us to do the wrong thing and call it freedom. That's not real freedom. So Mary, just the very act of Mary following this plan, and this plan itself is quite subversive. But then Mary goes to her cousin, Elizabeth, and when they meet, there's this moment where they start like spouting prophetic songs. And it's really kind of awkward for us today because we don't know what to do with that. But I want to read you Mary's song. And I want you to keep in mind the situation that she's in. She's living in a patriarchal, female oppressive society. She's living in a society of Roman military and political oppression. And she's living in a world that is oppressed by Satan and his attempts to get us to not follow God and turn away from God. In the midst of that, this is Mary's song. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Just the fact that God would be mindful of someone who is completely oppressed gives me hope. And hope can be dangerous. Mary goes on to say, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, and he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty." 
He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary is a leader not only because she's willing to follow God, even when it means death, danger, humiliation, and problems in her community. But she is also a leader because she is leading her people in a theology that defies oppression of any kind. I will humble the rich. I will bring down rulers from their thrones. Those who oppress people will end up at the bottom. And those who are oppressed, God pays special attention to and remembers and raises them up. Wow. Could you imagine going to a place like Myanmar where there's a civil war and an oppressive government who regularly commits genocide and standing there and saying, God is stronger than all of you. And he remembers the humble and the oppressed and the weak and he raises them up. What do you think would happen to you? You'd either end up in jail or you'd end up dead. Those are your options. Mary is a leader because she is willing prophetically to stand up and declare the truths of God in an oppressive world. And finally, Mary is a leader because although she's ridiculed, nearly dumped by Joseph, humiliated, ends up giving birth in a stable, despite all of that, she remains strong in the Lord and she leads her family and her nation and the world as one of the very first people to worship the newborn son of God who came to earth to reconcile us to God. Mary leads us to worship Jesus. Through him, we have forgiveness of our sins. And Mary takes us there. She's not God. She's not divine. She's just a human being who leads people by being one of the first to act on what God has done and to worship God for the coming of our Savior. And today, I want to give you an opportunity to come follow Mary's example and bow before your Savior. Become a leader by leading others to their Savior, just like Mary did. By embracing his forgiveness for your sins and beginning a new life, following in Mary's example of saying yes to whatever plan God has for you, even if it brings humiliation, danger, discomfort, 
and a society who says you're crazy. Follow the example of Mary and say yes to the Lord and his ways. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we are grateful today for Mary. Not because Mary was superhuman or somehow divine, but because Mary was a regular human being who chose to be a leader by saying yes. Lord, we want to be like Mary. We want to say yes to you. We want to say yes to your son. We want to bow down and worship your son who came to earth for us to save us. We embrace that salvation. We ask your forgiveness for our sins. We ask that you would show us, reveal to us your plan for each one of us. And lead us in that plan. Here we are today, Lord. In the words of Mary, we're saying, may it be to us as you have said. Whatever your plan is. Whatever your will for our lives. We say yes. Father, we love you and we are so grateful for the things that you teach us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Part of what we do when we worship the Lord is take communion. So we're going to do that now. If you've got your communion cups, now would be the time to try and peel back that little layer of film. (laughs) I have the hardest time with these. All right. So, Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem. And 33 years later, in Jerusalem, on the night before his death, he gave us a simple way to remember the sacrifice through which we are forgiven. He was eating with the disciples, and he took the bread, he broke some off, and he said, take a piece of this and eat it. And when you do, remember that my body is broken for you. So we too eat the bread and we remember. And then he took the cup of wine, took a sip and passed it around saying, drink this. And when you do, remember that my blood was poured out for you. So we also drink and we remember. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We remember the great things you've done. We proclaim that you are God, that you are perfect 
in birth, in death, and in resurrection. We thank you for forgiving us our sins. And we choose to walk with you, Lord. Thank you. We love you. Amen.